Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. We'll be reading from there in just a moment. I'll add my welcome and thank you all for being here. We, um, as Larry mentioned, we seek to worship God as has been prescribed in the New Testament. No more and no less. We simply seek to do what God has asked us to do in worship to Him. And we thank you all very much for being here, especially our guests. We appreciate you all being here and hope you'll come back as you have opportunity. Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 20. It says, Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into a place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgressions since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You know, God went through great lengths to make sure that the Israelites would, re- would realize the promise that he had made to them. And you remember that he promised them that they would come out of bondage in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. And that they would enter into a promised land. And remember how God describes that land. He said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And he also told them that he would destroy those living in the land so that they might have the opportunity to live in peace in that land. What did he require of them? He simply required that they be obedient to him, that they listen to his voice, that they hear him and do the things that he told them to do. And while they would eventually enter into that land, Their continued disobedience made it so that they would not enjoy peace. They would not have the peace in that land that God wanted for them. And eventually, we know that culminated into one day when they had no peace at all, when they were taken into captivity. God has promised us, those who believe in Christ, he's he's promised us some things too. He has prepared a place for us, just like he did for the Israelites. He's prepared a place for us. He's also made it so that we can have peace in our lifetime. And guess what he requires of us? The same thing he required of the children of Israel, and that is to obey him. To hear his voice, to do what he says. All he asks is that we obey him. And now while we don't live under the same law as the Israelites did, of course, we don't live under the law of Moses, God still provides for his children. God still shows us the way. So this morning as we enter into the lesson and think about these things, I want you to remember what God told the Israelites in that passage there. He says, my angel will go before you. 
God provided them with guidance. He provided them with the blessings that were necessary to make sure that they entered into the promised land. He still does the same for us. He gives us guidance. He gives us blessings. Only now, something much greater than the angels goes before us. I want to look at this, uh, some things this morning that God had promised the Israelites. And then I want to compare them to the promise that He makes to us as Christians. So let's think about these things as we go forward. God's providence then and now. So as we mentioned in our, in our introduction, God promised them a land. He promised the children of Israel a land. Remember, it goes all the way back to Abraham when he promised to make him a great nation and a great place. And through his seed, all nations would be blessed. The threefold promise that goes to Abraham. God promised them a land. Remember in Exodus 3 and verse 8, as, as God is commissioning Moses to lead his children out of Egypt and into the promised land, remember what he said to him, to Moses. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Recognize those names? Those are those same names we read over there a minute ago in Exodus chapter 23. Those are the people that were inhabitants of the land. And he says, I'm going to bring you into that land and I'm going to cast these that are in there out. And they're going to be destroyed so that you can live in that land and enjoy peace. A good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. This is what God wanted for the children of Israel. This is what, as part of his commission to Moses, he's telling them, I have heard their cries, and now's the time for them to come up out of bondage and go into that promised land. God promised the children of Israel, he promised them abundant life. Look with me, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 26. <clears throat> God promised the children of Israel an abundant life. We begin here in Leviticus chapter 26, beginning in verse 3. It says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and your grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land, so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall down before the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will, be, will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you 
fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. And you will eat of the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. Verse 12, I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so that you should, be, you should not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. You hear all the things that were promised to the children of Israel? The great gathering, the living in peace, the rains that would come upon the land so that they could grow their foods. Great blessings that were in store for the children of Israel. But let's not overlook verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out. In the beginning of this, he reminds them that they have to do what he says. You have to obey me. You have to do what I have commanded you to do. And if you do, here's the blessings that will follow. It was an abundant life that God had set forth for them. What he wanted for them in that land flowing with milk and honey. But as we mentioned, there was a condition. The condition is they had to obey. If we look in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, it says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Over and over and over again, God says, if you will indeed obey my voice and my covenant. There was a condition. There was a condition for the children of Israel to enter into that promised land. And that was simply to obey the voice of God. What about the now part of this? This was God's providence in the Old Testament. We read about how he did this for the children of Israel. What about for us? What about us as Christians? What have we been promised? We've been promised a land too. In John 14, and verse, verses 1 through 3, which Larry read for us there, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. We've been promised a land. We've been promised a wonderful place that's at the end of our journey. How much greater is it? The land of Canaan was supposed to be a wonderful place for the children of Israel. A spacious land flowing with milk and honey. How much more wonderful, how much greater is heaven that awaits the end of a faithful Christian's life? We've been promised a land. And we've been promised an abundant life. Just like the children of Israel, that passage we just read there in Leviticus chapter 26 about the rains and, and all those things that would help them in this, in this physical world. We've been promised an abundant life too. And you probably know the scripture that where I'm going to now. John 10 verse 10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so that we could have an abundant life. We enjoy the blessings of this, of this life 
in Christ. Now we have uh, a life as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, and we travel through this world. We know that these things are temporary in this world, but the life we have as a Christian is abundant. Think of the fellowship that we have one with another. Think of the blessings that we have to be able to come on the first day of the week and commune in the taking of the Lord's Supper. Join our voices together in song. Pray to our God. Stand before Him. What wonderful blessings those are. That's an abundant life. That's what God has promised to those who are faithful to Him. Which leads right into the next part of this. There's a condition. There's a condition to enjoy, to be a part of the abundant life. And it's simply the same condition that God placed on the Israelites. And that is we have to obey him. In John 15 and verse 10, our Lord says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The condition that we have for abiding in our Lord is to obey him, is to keep his commandments. And if we do that, we abide in God. We abide in the Lord, just as the Lord abides in his Father, the God of heaven. What we're talking about here are things that are better under Christ. As we gathered around the table this morning, I reminded us about the Hebrew writer and what he said about the things that are under the law of Christ, how they're better than the things that were under the law of Moses. The law of Moses had its place. This is what God had delivered to, to Moses to deliver to the children of Israel. It served its purpose, but it could never take away sin. It could never truly save man. It could never truly redeem man from his sin. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to do that. And that's why the law of Christ is the better covenant. In our Sunday night classes, we are studying the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, we just looked at the Beatitudes that are there in, chapter, in, in Matthew chapter 5. Here's the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is, is a state of blessing, right? I brought this up when we were discussing this. I, as a young person, the word beatitudes, I thought that was some, some kind of form of the word attitude. But it's really the, the state of being blessed. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted. All those are states of blessing. These are the things that are better in Christ. In 2 Peter 1, we have what we have deemed the Christian virtues. Peter talks about faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. Those are blessings that we enjoy as children of God. Things are better under Christ. We enjoy so much. We are so richly blessed to have these things that we can engage in and better our faith and deepen our faith. And God has given these to us. He's told us what we need to do. He spelled it out for us. And God, in his infinite 
grace and his overabundance in supplying us with all that he needs, all that we need. He gives us so much. In Ephesians 6, we have this passage about putting on the armor of God. Paul describes it in such a way as as a soldier getting ready for battle. He makes these ideas concrete in the idea that, that a soldier is putting on the armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and realize his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God's given us the tools that we need to stand firm against the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. I don't think it's a coincidence that the last thing he talks about there is the sword. The word of God. This is the soldier's implement. This is what he uses in his battle. And this is what we as Christians use in our battle. Not a physical one. He says this is in the heavenly places. Our struggle is not in this world. It's a spiritual one. And we have the word of God given to us as a sword, given to us as a tool, that we may wield it so that we know how to stand firm and that we can stand for righteousness in this world. Our theme this year is this, confidently approaching the throne of grace. We've had lessons this year that talk about how it is that we can indeed confidently approach the throne of of our God. And that, of course, comes from Hebrews 4, verse 16. So as we think about how it is that we can confidently approach the throne of God, we often think about, well, you know, we are just poor sinners and that we cannot stand in the presence of God because He is so powerful and merciful graceful. That's true. A lot of that is true. All of that is true. But the Hebrew writer tells us that we should confidently approach the throne of God, throne of grace. So what does that mean to us? It means that we need to make sure that we are doing these things, that we are following after God, that we are engaged in those virtues that are listed there in 2 Peter 1, that we are having the character, building our character as our Lord spoke about in Matthew 5 there with the Beatitudes. That's how we have confidence. That's how we are able to withstand the devil. And this life is difficult. The things that we have to do, the things that we are beset on all sides, it's difficult. And sometimes our faith wavers. Sometimes we don't know how we'll continue. Might I suggest that you remember what we just read there in Ephesians 6. 
putting on the armor of God, shielding ourselves, shielding yourself from the things that come at you from all sides. And as Christians, we struggle sometimes and wonder, are we going the right direction? Are we being led to the promised land? And I will tell you that if you're following after God's word, if you're being true to him, building your faith, then you are headed to the promised land. And I encourage you to keep strong in that. There's no angels that, that go on before us in battle anymore. Remember what Paul said there, our battles are not of this world. We don't need that angel to lead us in the physical battle in this world. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't still supply his children all things they need to enter into that promised land. The Hebrew writer says about angels that they are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Let me say that again, what the Hebrew writer says about angels, that they are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So in essence, angels have gone before us because if we obey him, we will inherit salvation. And there are consequences if we don't obey him. Like the Israelites were taken into captivity because they would not abide in the word of God. They would not abide in, in his commandments. They were taken into captivity for their disobedience. We too will enter into eternal bondage if we don't hear the voice of the Lord. Jesus said in, in John 14, which we read from, For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What a wonderful blessing. I mentioned that in the introduction that we have something better than the angels that goes before us. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ has gone before us. He went through death. He was resurrected. And he ascended into heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of God. And he has prepared a place for us. He's prepared a place for us to come to. An eternal rest. So the question is, will you follow him into the promised land. He has gone before us. He has shown us the way. And he has told us that he's prepared a place for us that's waiting. If we are faithful, if we remain faithful until this life is over. If you're a Christian, you enjoy in the blessings that we talked about. If you remain faithful to him, you have a life of eternity in heaven that's awaiting for you when this life is over. If you're not a child of God, you don't enjoy those blessings. You're not part of the body. You're not a child in the kingdom. You're not a citizen of the kingdom. I would encourage you to become one.
I would encourage you to understand what the gospel message is, that Jesus Christ has come to the earth and has died for our sins. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. We can help you with that. If as a child of God, you're not on the path that's going to lead you to eternal life, that's not going to lead you into that promised land, I encourage you to make the changes necessary that will put you back on that path. Whatever your needs might be, let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.